On today's episode of The Purposeful Pitch, I'm joined by Michigan State Senator Peter McGregor, Chairman of the Appropriations Subcommittee on Health and Human Services. The Senate Majority Floor Leader, Senator McGregor, has a long history of public service, having served in the Michigan House of Representatives and as supervisor of Cannon Township. A former small business owner, Senator McGregor can empathize with the current challenges facing businesses across the state and country. During our conversation, we focused on the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on businesses, schools, and critical support services, including those dealing with behavioral health, as well as the issue of systemic racism that understandably continues to grip the nation after the recent killing of George Floyd. Senator McGregor, thank you so much uh, for uh, for joining me today on the uh, Purposeful Pitch. Uh, you know, appreciate your time. I know it's uh, you know certainly a, a busy one. Uh, you know, across uh, Michigan uh, for for policymakers like yourself, um, would would love to you know start off really. To I'm always fascinated with how people. Uh, you know, the path, uh, you know, to, to public office, you know, what it's, 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 I find with many people, it's innate. Uh, it's something that is, is in you. Uh, you know, those who are, you know, those I've, I've spoken to in the past, uh, it's certainly not in me. Uh, but, uh, just wanted to see, you know, what was, what was your path, uh, to, you know, to public office? Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, I'm very happy to share my experiences and, uh, thank you again for having me uh, on your podcast. I love your bow tie. Uh, I wish I could do it. I, I can't sport that look, but, uh, you know, every once in a while I'll have to uh, struggle to put one on. I, I truly love to share how, how I got to where I am right now as a state Senator. Uh, I've, I've been a state representative. I've been a township supervisor. I've been a township trustee. I've been involved with planning commissions. So, um, it, it didn't happen instantly. It took some time. And if you were to ask me 20 years ago or even out of college, you had said that it's kind of innate. I think just sheer wisdom brings you to a point in your life that you want to give back. You want to share what you have learned uh, through your life. And and those experiences set you up perfectly to, to start giving back. So my advice to someone, and I, I'd be more than happy, anybody listening or watching wants to sit down with me and have a cup of coffee, I will, I will go through a, a, a nice game plan for them to, to prepare them for uh, getting to, to certain spots that they'd like to, to serve, whether it's Congress or president of the United States or just a planning commissioner. Uh, I think all this is relevant when, when you, um, when you think about how to get involved, but you, you're right. You, you have to want to get involved. So, um, the number one thing is your networks. You got to have good networks and your networks can be business networks. I, I truly think that those service organizations like Rotary and Lions Club, uh, your church, uh, getting involved with, um, you know, the PTO, getting in those networks is so key and having multiple networks, even being a coach or an assistant coach for, for your children, uh, whether it's softball or baseball or basketball, it doesn't matter. These are all great networks because these are the people who you need, who you're building a trust with, um, who you're going to need their assistance. And and I'm not just talking financial assistance. I'm talking about getting the word out, getting the vote out that um, I need your help to to achieve my goal of serving the community. So 
that's probably the number one thing is setting up networks. I, I got involved with uh, the Lions Club. I got involved with my church. I coached my boys, uh, all their baseball teams, football teams, basketball teams, those who can't coach, kind of. So I was, <laughs> I was a really good coach. And then um, you're involved with your school activities. You got to be involved with your neighborhoods, being involved with the Chamber of Commerce, the local small Chamber of Commerce. These are key things to get involved with and people will start to notice how sincere you are and, and your dedication. And, 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 and so each step becomes a little bit easier. Your anxiety goes up on each step, but each step is a little bit easier because of those networks that you have. Set up. So those who start out from doing nothing to want to be in the president of the United States, it's going to be real difficult. You are going to have to spend a lot of money because people don't know who you are. Take take the small steps, and um, you know that's 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 my wisdom that I can pass on to anybody in their twenties or thirties or forties who who want to take that step and serve their community. Yeah. Now, now was there a, a specific issue that drove you to to want to be, uh, you know, a, a public official, a policymaker? When you know, was there something that you were extremely passionate about, or or something you you thought needed to be fixed and and you wanted to be involved in? Yes, uh, kind of too. Uh, I, I had owned a small business uh, previously, getting involved with the state legislature. I, I was, um, you know, involved with my township as an elected official there, but that was just a part-time gig, uh, you know, in, in solving more issues, very, very local. But uh, this, we're talking 2008, 2009, when the economy was at at the worst it could ever be. Uh, I guess I can't compare it to right now, but back then it seemed like it, it couldn't get any worse. So the economy being terrible and having three boys that were toddlers and middle school age, all I could think about was when these kids get old enough to go to college and hopefully they do go to college, they're gonna leave this state. They're gonna leave the state because they don't wanna hang out here. They're gonna find jobs outside the state and something like that would have broke uh, my wife's heart, break my heart on something like that. So those were probably the two main issues is we 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 got to fix the economy. I know I think I can do that. I, I've run a successful business. I have the experience. And boy, I want to I want to make it better for my kids when 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 they when they get to that point of uh, dad, you know, what? I, I think I want to go to school right here in, in West Michigan, and all three of them did. Two went to Grand Valley and one went to Aquinas. Uh, so they're very close. My wife was super happy about that. And so that, that whole uh, happy wife, happy life, sure. that's, <laughs> that's what happened. So uh, those are probably the two main reasons. Yeah, uh, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I've got uh, two teenage daughters and I can't wait to get. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, that's great. And the reason the primary reason I, I asked about, you know, if there was a you know a specific issue or two who, that drove you to, you know, to want to serve is, I mean, there are two that are top of mind for everybody, uh, you know, right now, you know, two issues, uh, you know, one, uh, obviously, COVID-19, you know, one that has been uh, in our lives, uh, consuming our lives, understandably, for for several months, uh, and then uh, obviously, uh, you know, the issue surrounding the death of, of George Floyd uh, and, and uh, you know, the issue of systemic racism uh, across the country. And, 
wanted to, you know, to see what conversations are, are you having, uh, you know, with your peers uh, in the state Senate surrounding the issue of uh, systemic racism since the death of, of uh, George Floyd or even before, uh, you know, that death, because obviously this is not a new uh, a new topic. Right. The, the, the conversations have definitely changed uh, with my colleagues uh, in the state Senate, especially with the colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Um, uh, my colleagues in um, uh, that live in the Detroit area or more of the urban areas, uh, my colleagues that are African-American, um, the, the conversations have, have changed dramatically and, and not for the worse. Um, I think I'm doing more listening and understanding than talking because, you know, I, I can't, I, I, I don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. So it's, it's quite difficult. Sometimes I'm not sure what to say. And, and I, and I, and I tell them that, and they say, it's okay. We just want you to listen and understand. And I think that's the key. So, you know, the death of, of, uh, of Mr. Floyd, George Floyd was, was tragic. You know, everybody, everybody, would say that it was so unnecessary and that um, these peaceful gatherings are, are, are so key to, to the healing of that and fixing the problems. And, and I'm glad our law enforcement is listening, at least here in Kent County they are. You saw both the, 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 the chief of uh, the, the police here in Grand Rapids and the, the county sheriff, uh, Michelle Young, um, both there out there listening. And I, I think that's awesome. Um, you know, obviously everybody's going to uh, denounce the, the violence extremists. Um, and but the, I think those peaceful protests are, are, are spot on. I just I wish it, it, it we didn't have to mix those two um, because that violence kind of degrades the freedom and, the, and, and disrespects uh, Mr. Floyd's memory. It, at least that's my opinion. Um, I know last week in the Senate, there was a, a House or a Senate resolution, um, Senate Resolution 122, and it was a bipartisan resolution that uh, condemned and denounced the, the violence and those activities and urged our Congress to, to redouble its efforts to combat the, the spread of all forms of domestic terrorism. So um, we are listening. We are denouncing the, 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 the that, um, that violence that's happening, but um, I love the fact that uh, we have that right for peaceful assembly. Uh, and um, there are days that I'm looking outside on the on the Senate floor, looking outside at the at the demonstrations, and thinking to myself how privileged we are. I may not agree with the protests going on, but how privileged we are um, because there's some countries you can't even do that. You'd be shot if you did that. You'd be thrown in jail if you protested like that. Even if you think like that, I mean, it's it's just it's absolutely amazing. And I get chills every time I, I see those protests going on. And then what 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 is even better than that? We step we, we start session and we start our session every day with an invocation. Or a moment of silence, depending who's giving it and, and then the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and that is um, starting your day. Uh, seeing the protests, whether they're your pro or, or not, or, and, and then doing those two things, uh, it, it, it shows how privileged we are to live in this state and in this country. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
Two of the things, you know, the, the listening and the, the not knowing what to say. I think a lot of us are, are uh, you know, feeling uh, similarly. I know I was uh, and, and have been. Uh, and, you know, it's it's you know, it's, it's frustrating because I'm in the business of communication. So I'm supposed to know what to say, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, in, in this instance, I think not jumping to fill in the empty spaces uh, in a conversation uh, is more important, you know, letting, letting, you know, letting others, uh, you know, fill that void, uh, you know, so that we can, we can learn, uh, you know, to your point where we don't know what it's like to, uh, you know, walk in their walk in their shoes. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've, it's, it's time for, for us to involve ourselves in the conversation, uh, and communicate, but certainly, uh, to listen first. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, I, there, to your point about the, uh, the, the, the protests, uh, you know, it, it, I have to imagine that your office has received communications from local citizens surrounding this issue, uh, and I'm I'm just wondering if if there any have stood out or if there's any any you can share, uh, you know, w- w- just even in general, what you're hearing from the public uh, as it relates to uh, you know to this topic. Most what I heard is how disappointed they were in what happened here in Grand Rapids that Saturday night. But I think what sticks out is what happened Sunday morning when you had hundreds and hundreds of volunteers out there cleaning up the city, because that's the true Grand Rapids right there. I think those that were uh, rioting and destroying and looting, um, that's not Grand Rapids. And, and I, you know, hopefully those those people um, are, are, are dealt with. Um, you know, we have to have a rule of law. To, to, to have a, a, a good community. And that's what it's all about is our community. And so when I, I, I do get a lot of notes and emails from, from citizens regarding whether they're, they're fro or for the protest or against the protest, um, I love that people are willing to give me their opinion. I mean, that's, that's again, the best part. You know, that's, that's the expression, our expressing our first, our first amendment rights it's it's but we have to do it peacefully and i think that's probably what most people said is the peaceful part is uh is what we need to promote uh the the violence is the part that we need to hold those people accountable and when we don't hold them accountable we're never going to stop it and um but um just the fact that uh we have that right to to demonstrate peacefully i think is is the best part of of living in this country Okay. And, and, you know, it's, it's not easy to transition uh, off of that topic, but, you know, as I mentioned, you know, the thing that has been uh, consuming many of us for, uh, if not all of us, uh, really for going on four five, four months at this point is uh, the situation surrounding, uh, you know, COVID-19 uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, not just here in Michigan, but uh, across the country and the world. Uh, and, you know, I saw, you know, in, in May that you uh, led the Senate in, in providing, you know, 524 million in federal uh, COVID-19 funding. Uh, to deliver much-needed supplies uh, to frontline workers, help families in need of financial assistance, uh, and to support uh, critical state infrastructure. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about that effort? Yeah, so the the federal government sent us uh, some of your tax dollars uh, in the amount of uh, $3.8 billion. A portion of that went to the four biggest counties, which is 
Kent was one of them, as well as the city of Detroit. It was based on uh, population thresholds. So in and, and Kent County got a fair amount. They got about $118 million and um, they, they have a plan to spend that those dollars and, and it's a great plan set up by Mandy Bolter, who is the chair of Kent County uh, Board of Commissioners. But there was still $3.1 billion yet to be spent. The, the governor spent about $112 million of it on some uh, testing and PPP, PPE supplies, but there's still a lot of hurt out there and, and we still have a lot of dollars that, that, that need to be spent to help out um, all sorts of different areas. It's not just the frontline workers, but that's still super important to continue to support those uh, frontline uh, workers. But uh, there, there's there, there's certain portion of our workforce that, that got ignored and that's kind of more of the the direct caseworkers. These are the people who are taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. They were ignored uh, at the start and, and we're trying to help them out by giving them a bump. Um, you know, there, there are some essential workers that, that couldn't be home that, that have exposed themselves to, to this uh, crisis. So we've provided hazardous pay uh, bonuses and grants to, to those type of workers. Our, our unemployment insurance agency is 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 so broken, mm. uh, and uh, so we have appropriate money to to help create or or, or help them with uh, resources needed to to help out those who who need help who are unemployed. These are these are all um, these all this money being spent is because of COVID, and and it's really the the only catch to spending these federal dollars is it has to be spent on COVID related issues. If it's, if you're back feeling an issue previous to COVID-19, that's a no, no, you can't spend those dollars, but uh, we're, we're even helping out our school systems. Uh, you know, the, the, the transition from um, online learning or distance learning has been uh, so critical for, for our kids. Uh, the device purchasing, um, the, the, um, Knowing where these kids are when it comes to testing, we're, we're going to have to figure out if, if, if we took a step back come this fall. I mean, they, these are all things that cost some money. Our, our agricultural industries need help. Um, so we appropriated money there. Uh, child development and child care. I mean, when you start closing these things and, and now we want people getting back to work. Some of these child care facilities aren't open, so we need to start helping them out with some resources to make sure they, they open up. But there's, uh, you said, there's about $540 million. We passed that out of the Senate unanimously, so it's bipartisan. Everybody understands that there's people hurting. We need to get this money out there. It's over in the House right now. The House is expected to... Um, Add a couple things that, that we obviously you can't hit everything and sometimes you forget things. So they're adding some more uh, dollars to this. We have plenty of them, trust me. Um, but uh, we will probably be sending this to the governor either late next week or early 10 days from now. And I hope she signs it. I, I'm told she'll sign it because this money needs to get out to these people and these um, uh, organizations as soon as possible. Yeah, well, you know, I work with uh, I work with a number of of schools uh, across the state uh, and and the country, and and, and uh, obviously, uh, you know, I'm aware of the the challenges uh, schools face uh, as they try and figure out 
what does the next school year look like? I mean, there are just, uh, you know, they're, they're going through contingency plans and the different scenarios. Uh, and obviously a lot of that is, is dependent on funding. Uh, you know, what conversations are, are you having with your, with your colleagues, your, you know, your peers there uh, as it relates to, um, you know, state and, and, and federal funding? I mean, is there, uh, you know, a pressure being applied at the federal level to, uh, you know, ensure that we're, uh, you know, doing what we can to alleviate because it's not just reopening the schools, it's reopening the schools, knowing that they're safe and the 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 additional uh, funding that's going to be needed, uh, you know, in order to accommodate any additional transportation needs or uh, supplies, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, you know, for the kids. So just wondering what, what types of conversations you're having with your your peers uh, as it relates to that. Yeah, I, I think it's probably the number one topic, uh, school. Uh, the school aid fund, the the $1.1 billion shortfall we have in this current budget, just under $1 billion going into 21 uh, budget year, which starts October 1st. So it's just right around the corner. These are, these are huge issues. Uh, and you're right, we're not sure quite, we don't have a plan quite yet. Um, I have written letters to our two U.S. Um, senators and my two congressmen here in West Michigan, asking them to give us flexibility on those dollars that they had sent us, the $3.8 billion. Um, the, the, the supplemental that we just talked about probably will, will, will eat up a, a billion or a billion and a half. Well, well, we'll still have another billion and a billion and a half left over. We need those dollars. We need the flexibility on those dollars to, to fill the holes, especially on um, our school aid fund. If we were to do nothing, that's close to $700 or $700 per pupil cut just in the current year. I mean, it just, it's, it will devastate so many communities and so many school districts. So we're, we're, we're looking for that flexibility. Yesterday, we passed a resolution we sent to Congress asking them for this flexibility on these dollars. Um, you know, we're, we're going to eat the elephant one bite at a time. I'm not asking for more. I'm just asking for flexibility. Will we need more? Definitely. But that timeline is not determined by the state. It's determined by by Congress and, and our president. So um, these are things that uh, that we continue to ask for that support. We're going to have to get um, very uh, creative on, on what we do with, with these next two budgets, the current budget and the, and the budget in 21, we're going to have to start thinking about, are there possible ways to bond? Can, can, can we, can we unrestrict certain dollars for certain areas and temporary temporarily use them for, uh, the holes that are created because of the lack of revenue when it comes to, to, to the revenue, it's, our, our school gets its revenue primarily from sales tax yeah. and, and a lot of it, a lot of the sales tax from, from gas, people aren't driving and gas is really cheap. We also get a lot of it from income tax. Well, income tax uh, got extended to the middle of July. So not only are we in the hole because the economy is, is, is not producing the revenue, but we're also going to have a cash flow problem, a huge cash flow problem. And anybody in the business, any type of business, understand that cash flow is king. So it, it is so critical to, to understand that two thirds, about $10 billion of the $15 billion school aid budget comes from sales tax and income tax. And both those two revenue streams have been def- decimated. 
And so that's why we're in this huge hole. It's temporary, but it's going to really, really hurt if, if we don't come up with some creative um, funding between now and I'd say over the next um, month or two is, is we, we don't, we're running out of time here. Yeah. I know uh, superintendents are um, hesitant to roll out plans because there's just so much uncertainty. And I know that's the, the buzzword, uh, you know, probably be the word for 2020. Uh, one of the words for 2020 will be uncertainty, but uh, it's the truth. Uh, and, you know, they're hesitant to roll out uh, concrete plans without, uh, you know, with, with with all of the uncertainty that exists. Um, we're, so. we're, get, we're getting a lot of calls on on how, how are the schools going to reopen? Yeah. Do, are, are we going to continue virtual or are we going to have face to face? I talk to our superintendents quite often. They, they are surveying parents. Uh, they're, they're working with the public officials. Uh, they have a strong desire to get back to face to face. But, um, you know, with the social distancing requirements, I, you can't tell a five year old not to not yeah. to uh, you know, stay away from another five year old. Uh, you know, there, there's probably a lot of uh, germs going on between between those young ones. But, um, you, you know, that there's a lot of state mandates that that we could uh, temporarily uh, remove uh, and, and just use some guidelines and some recommendations. And we're working with them on those, giving them flexibility. You may have a lot of parents that don't want to send their kids back at all, especially until we have a vaccine. Yeah. So um, your student count will be down. So if their student count is down, they're going to get less money because that's how they get paid. So so uh, that, that's another uh, uh, barrier that we have to overcome. Maybe we have to be flexible and say, OK, let's use 2019 um, uh, count rather than this new count, because there's no way that, that some of these school districts can can perform with uh, with 30 percent of their students not showing. So it, it's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. And the impact is, you know, teachers, you know, do teachers want to go back? I mean, you know, parents, you know, sending their kids, but, you know, teachers and, you know, many of whom are parents themselves, uh, you know, do they have reservations? And then there's the whole workforce question of, you know, if schools are not open. So it, it's it is, um, you know, there are a lot of tentacles to to this uh, situation as it relates to schools uh, and is certainly not uh, I, I don't. Uh, envy you, superintendents, you know, anyone who is involved in, in trying to figure out, um, you know, how to how to open up uh, schools uh, and the approach for 2020, 21, because there, there are no simple solutions. Uh, yeah, and- it, as long as we stay away from that blame game. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's, uh, you know, if, if there's no other way except to have a, a cut and hopefully it's not a seven hundred dollar per student cut. But boy if we can cut that in half or in a third or, 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 you know, a fifth, they can't expect to to continue to be whole just because the the money isn't there. We're not like Congress. We we, we can't print money. Uh, We can only spend what we bring in. And that's why getting flexibility from Congress on the money that we, that they did send us is key, but we got to get away from blaming the governor, blaming um, uh, the house of representatives and the state Senate on I can't believe you did X, Y, Z. It's we're, you're right. We're handcuffed. We can only spend as much as we have. And we're going to and it's our number one issue. And we're going to do everything we can to to minimize that um, the issue. Yeah, I think the understanding is that this is kind of 
outside of the state's control. And a lot of it is going to come from, you know, what is the support we're going to receive from at the federal level? Um, you know, so I, I think that's there's there's understanding there. Um, shifting gears, gears a little bit. I mean, I'm still focused on COVID-19 uh, is the impact on mental health. I think we understand uh, we, there's an understanding that uh, this has had an impact on on mental health. And, and you held a uh, teletown hall uh, with Dr. Adam London, uh, director from the Kent County Health Department, where you talked about uh, the impact of COVID-19 on mental health. And you know, what's, uh, just wondering, what are your biggest concerns uh, you know, as it relates to mental well-being? So it's a conversation that is picking up some traction now, but early on, um, being being the chair of uh, the Department of Health and Human Service Appropriations uh, budget, it's the largest budget in in the state. It's $27 billion out of the $57 billion. So it's it's quite almost half of the state budget. And uh, DHHS, or the Department of Health and Human Services, it covers anything from welfare to foster care, adult senior services, food stamps and Medicaid and, and hospital and clinics, autism, local community health, social work workers. And, and so and also behavioral health. So almost everything I just said there that is in the Department of Health and Human Services has been affected by COVID-19. Every almost every part of my budget that 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 I'm responsible for is is affected by COVID-19. But the one that I I truly think is the one that didn't get talked about, and I wish I wish the executive, I wish other members of, of, of uh, the legislator talked about it, is behavioral health. That when when everybody was for a stay home, stay safe um, executive order, um, I was worried about child welfare, child neglect, child abuse. Um, alcoholism. Um, I was worried about domestic abuse. I was worried about um, sus- all substance abuse. These are things that are all kind of fall under that behavioral health. And uh, when you're shuttered in, and 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 there's families that are you know aren't, don't function as well as others, um, and there's no way to check in on these children. I mean, the, one of the best parts of of child welfare is these kids get to go to school and their teachers and the administrators are checking in on these kids where we don't have that. Um, if you can't check in on, on your elderly parents, the, the depression that they could go into, uh, you know, talking on the phone is one thing, but, uh, boy, giving mom or dad a hug or holding their hand, uh, it goes so much further than what people realize. So when, when you said the behavioral health and, and Dr. London, uh, back me on this. It is probably going to be something that uh, is going to be real tragic. Some of the stories we hear moving forward, our caseload for foster care is probably going to go through the roof. Our caseload for adult abuse or domestic violence is going to go through the roof. And it's because there was all the checks and balances that we had in place because of the stay at home uh, weren't available. And, and, and it's, and it's, and it's sad. And, um, I want to put as many resources towards these programs as possible, but the problem is our, just like the school aid fund, the general fund is, is also a billion, 1.1 billion in the hole for 2020. It's even more, I think it's more like 
3.2 billion for 2021. And again, like I said, that's right around the corner come October 1st. So these are, um, these are programs that are going to be decimated because of the lack of revenue. You know, I, I'm a big, um, I'm a, along the, I'm a big supporter of that thought of, uh, or that old adage, rising tide lifts all boats. I mean, up until the beginning of March, our tide was super high yeah. and, and, and every boat was floating and we were going to, we were going to start putting more money towards all beautiful programs. Even the, the governor had some awesome programs, uh, the healthy moms, healthy babies program to help out, uh, the, the moms in need that they're going, the pregnant moms that are, they're going through the first time experience of, of childbirth and making sure those kids come out healthy are, are, um, are key. I mean, it's, if you have a healthy child uh, compared to a child that, of, of need uh, when, when they enter this world, it, it's you're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars difference in, in, in helping out uh, just that one family. So uh, but because of COVID-19, these are some programs that uh, great public policy, great programs. We just don't have the funds. Yeah, and we're not going to see the unfortunately, we're not going to see the the ramifications from this, uh, you know, right away. I mean, we'll see some certainly, but there are those long term, um, you know, ramifications that, you know, we're going to see years down the road uh, as a result of the isolation. Uh, and, you know, to your point, you know, issues with uh, with foster care and elder care and everything else, you know, all of those things are, uh, you know, we're going to see the results of, of, of this situation uh, years down the road. Um, so I just want to, I, I think, just wrap things up with, uh, you know, a question of, of, you know, how quickly do you think our, our region can recover, you know, from from COVID nineteen? We're 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 a close knit community and and have been. I think that's one of the one of the benefits of Grand Rapids and West Michigan is that you know, to your point earlier uh, about the. Um, uh, protests and, uh, you know, damage that was done to, to Grand Rapids uh, on that Saturday night. But the next day you saw the community, you know, get together and and, uh, and, and, and clean up the city, work closely together. And that's more a representation of Grand Rapids. So I'm just wondering, you know, it's going to take that type of effort to recover. Uh, you know, what is your hope and, and, and how quickly can we recover from this? Well, my, my hope is to get resources to the people who need them uh, and our, that supplemental bill uh, using some of the, the CARES Act dollars that the Fed sent us, getting those out as soon as possible. Uh, that's my hope, because there's a lot of people who could use, continue to use this. Uh, again, um, uh, our, our unemployment uh, agency has, boy, I, I give them a D minus. They have failed continue to fail. We continue to give them resources, but you have people that are still uh, six to eight weeks. I, I had one individual that applied like the first day and he still hasn't been able to, to, to get a, to get a dime. So um, people are hurting. I mean, you can't live on a credit card or your savings account for, for, you know, months on, on end. But um, my hope is that we can fix some of these issues and get these resources out to the people. Um, that should be the baseline. We, we get these resources out to them, but, but the two questions as we move forward, like you said, how, how do we, how do we get back to, to, to where we were or get started? But the two questions that we continually 
ask, and we ask every day, multiple times a day, is how do we open up Michigan safely? We talk about this all the time. And the second question is, how do we achieve, how do we achieve healthy lives and a healthy economy? It, it, it is so key that we make sure that uh, we answer those and continue to answer those questions and continue to ask those questions. We're, we're all in this together. Like you said, we're, we're all in this together and um, we need to, and I think we're, we're able to resume our lives safely and sensibly, but boy, we, we, we need good data and we got to make those decisions and we got to answer these questions based on good data. And we get that data from from uh, the medical experts. We get that data from from our universities. We get that data from from our doctors, uh, the the people we all trust. And we got to use that good data to be able to answer those two questions. So if, if you're going to send your child back to school, or if you're going to go back to work, or if you're even going to go out for for dinner, spend some money. Um, it has to be it has to be safe, but it also has to be sensible. Um, and uh, I think. We got to stop. We got to somehow remove with good data, remove that that fear part of the of this recovery and go back to let, let's you know pull up our bootstraps and, and work together as a community and, and move forward. I, I, I think that's you know, I have hope because I know uh, Kent County. I have hope because I know Kent County as a community will work together to do exactly that. We will together, whether you're left or right or independent, we will answer both those questions. How, how, do, how, do we, how do we open Michigan safely? And how do we live our lives healthy again? And um, I wish I had the silver bullet right now. I don't, but uh, those two questions, I, I have confidence in not only um, the leadership in, this, at, 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 in Lansing, but the confidence in, in Kent County in uh, taking the lead on answering both those questions. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, no, no simple solutions. Uh, a ton of tough questions. And uh, as I mentioned, I, I don't envy uh, policymakers. You know, superintendents. You know, those who are. Uh, you know, other leaders who are are really uh, in the thick of it of of trying to figure out how do we. Um, uh, you know, how do we. You know, support uh, one another. You know, through this difficult time, uh, and and get through to the other side uh, in a way that's that's going to, um, you know, where we're all going to, uh, you know, live, um, uh, you know, valuable lives, uh, or and and a little bit easier, uh, you know, than than we have over the past you know few months. So, uh, thank you, Senator McGregor, for for your time again. Uh, I wish you uh, all of the best uh, as you work with your peers uh, at uh, you know in in the states. Senate uh, through some of these uh, these challenges and uh, appreciate your time today on the Purposeful Pitch. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me on and I'd be more than happy to do it anytime. Very good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.